The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hi, my name is Kevin Simmers. I'm a lifelong resident of Washington County and a retired police officer from Hagerstown Police Department, having served for 25 years. In 2013, I had a nightmare take place in my family. My daughter, who was 18 years old, came to me and told me she was addicted to painkillers. So we sought professional treatment. She was in and out of different rehabs for several months. Uh, in 2014, in January 2014, the disease had progressed and now she was addicted to heroin. She was put in different rehabs, some successful, some not successful. It's about four or five different rehabs in the year 2014. She begged me to help her get help and help her beat this disease. We were unable to find treatment, unable to find a place where she could go and recover with any kind of dignity and respect. My daughter battled with heroin throughout that year. At the end of the year, she was actually incarcerated for possession of needles. While she was incarcerated, she went through a jail substance abuse program and was sober for about four months. She was released from jail in April of 2015. She was out for about two weeks and then she relapsed. She went and shot up with heroin on that evening. She was overdosing. So she got in her car and she then drove to a nearby church at Hewitt's Crossroads here in Hagerstown, Maryland. While she was at that church, she was talking to a friend of hers and her friend was encouraging her to call her father. She said she didn't want to disappoint me again. She wasn't going to call me. She was going to sleep it off. She crawled in the backseat of her car and she died there in the backseat of her car on that church parking lot from an overdose to heroin. I met with... Sergeant Simmers talked with him about his daughter's overdose and death. I think what happens when you sit with and talk with someone who's walked through this, it moves from being a headline to being deeply personal. It's something you read about to someone you know. But what are the headlines? You know, what do we read about? What do we know? Um, ABC News recently did a story about Hagerstown and said that the police refer to our region as the heroin highway because you have the crossroads, right, between Interstate 70 uh, and then you've got uh, Interstate 81. And as a result, we're kind of right at the epicenter of drug trafficking, especially with this heroin issue. And maybe you don't know a lot about it, so I just want to bring you up to speed on this. Here's what's going on. Because of where we're positioned, you got a lot of drugs running up and down the highways, and it makes our area easy to land in and easy to traffic and easy to sell in. And so we've seen this issue skyrocket within just the last uh, couple of years. So what are we dealing with? What is, what is the crisis? I, I made a couple of quick notes uh, just to kind of give you guys an idea of kind of what is going on. If you look back over the last couple of years, here's, here's what you would notice. Here's what you would see. Uh, going back to 2013, uh, the number of people that were treated, uh, what they do is when they respond to an, a heroin overdose, uh, the emergency services will usually use a, a nasal spray called Narcan. Uh, it's basically the antidote. It kind of will quickly reverse the effects of heroin in their body and pull them out of the overdose. And so they spray this in their nose. Uh, and, and so if you go back to 2013, they administered this about 122 times. In 2014, 172 times. 2015, 200 
134 times. Uh, 2016, just this year, we've already nearly surpassed the number of times it was used all of last year. Uh, in just the first six months of 2016, uh, the emergency services responded, I think, 139 overdoses, but they had a tree of that. So in a half of a year, uh, they had 24 deaths in our community as a result of heroin overdose. 24 in contrast to 2015, they had 27 over the, all, the whole year. You, you guys see the, so this is a exponentially increasing crisis in our community. There, uh, the emergency services are saying that they're responding to uh, at least uh, a few overdoses per day. Again, right, you hear the statistics and it just sounds like a, like those are numbers, that's somebody else's problems, that's someone else's issue. But these are our classmates, our colleagues. These are our neighbors. It's our community, our city. And why, why can I say that? So, okay, here, here's the thing, right? You go back a couple decades, heroin was a, uh, a drug on the street. So people that were addicted to drugs were kind of like slowly moving and they would eventually get hooked on heroin, maybe after dealing with cocaine or other pretty serious drugs, but not today. Today, heroin uh, is a drug that knows no boundaries, meaning it, it, if it affects um, a police sergeant family. It affects the rich and the poor alike, the haves and the haves-nots, the blacks and the whites, the, the people with great jobs, the people with no job. Why? It's because it's, today it's different how people are getting hooked than how they got hooked on drugs a decade ago or even two decades ago. And here, here's why. Because heroin is cheap, but it's the entry point that matters. Uh, today, what happens is this. Maybe you had a surgery. And as a result, you get a prescription for the pain, right? So, I mean, most of us have probably had this experience at some point or another. So you realize that many of those prescription drugs you take are uh, addictive. That's why they give you a limited amount of them. And when you're done, that's it. So what happens is people who are, are experiencing pain, they get a prescription for painkillers and they keep getting a prescription until they can no longer get a prescription. And so then they start buying the same prescription drug, Oxycontin, Percocet, Vicodin, but eventually their supply runs out or it gets really expensive. And the police have been cracking down on prescription drugs on the street and so it's getting less accessible. So they switch over because it's a whole lot cheaper to buy heroin. As a result, it's an ordinary guy who goes to work, who had a surgery, who is taking prescription medication, who eventually goes looking for the, the next fix and finds it in heroin. So that it's our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, our classmates, even right here within our own church, people that you would not expect who are now dealing with their own issues through the addiction to heroin, right? And, and of course, it's bigger than just heroin. We're focusing on one drug, but it's a, it's a drug crisis. But this one, what makes this one unique is that it's so entry level. People just are getting hooked into it in a way that is shocking to the law enforcement and to the emergency services. So that it's anybody, you know, so often when you read the headlines, you think it's someone else's issue, that's someone else's child, it's someone else's community. And, but today it's our community, it's our city, 
If it's their children, it's our children because we're all a family, right? It's not just a city. We are a family. And so when it's anyone's child, it's our children. If it's anyone's father, it's our father. If it's anyone's friend, it's our friend. This is, if it's in their home, it's in our home. It becomes our problem. And there's actually another little twist to this, right? It's not pointing the finger at someone else. This isn't about blaming someone. It's about it becoming a burden that we begin to carry. And let me make the burden really personal for you. We are all addicts. Huh? How could I say that? You're thinking, I have not, no, have I not taken heroin? I don't even know what it would look like. Okay. Why do people get hooked on heroin? Because of prescription pain medication. They started taking drugs to kill the pain. But you don't get addicted to drugs to fix physical pain. You get addicted to painkillers to fix deeper pain. We all have our drug of choice to numb our pain. Here's how it works. We self-medicate because we all feel pain. I don't know what your pain is, but maybe you've been rejected or you've been hurt, a brokenness in a relationship, a death of a loved one. And so as a result, you carry deep grief, hurt, woundedness inside. You carry pain that you can't even express to a friend or a loved one. And, and so you, because we carry the pain, we start to self-medicate that pain. Oh, sure. Maybe you don't use heroin, but maybe you use food or sex or a relationship. Maybe you just mindlessly entertain yourself sitting in front of a TV wondering, what am I doing with my life? Maybe you use gambling or gaming, but every one of us have a drug of choice. So that it goes from being a they problem to a me problem. See, I am part of the problem. Because we all, to overcome the feelings of rejection and betrayal, guilt and shame, we self-medicate to get ourselves over the pain that we're feeling deep inside. So, hey, let me lighten the mood for a moment. Let's shift the focus off of ourselves. All right, you guys all... I want to breathe a little easier. So let's talk about an ancient city, a long time ago country. There was an entire nation who uh, became slaves. They grew up as slaves in the nation of Egypt. And so God set them free. He raised up a deliverer named Moses, and he led them out of slavery through signs, wonders, and miracles. And the people were set free. And after they were set free, God led them into what he called the promised land, kind of their land of paradise where they could live and prosper and as free men and women. The challenge was, even though they were set free, they didn't live free, they, they continued to think and act and treat each other as slaves. And so even though they were politically free, they didn't act free. And so they would abuse and misuse each other. They still thought like slaves, conforming to the pressures and the abuse and the oppression of others. So even though they had a free nation, they didn't live in that freedom. And eventually, over many hundred years, those same people, not the ones who came out of Egypt, but their children's children's children, were conquered. Other nations came in and wiped out this nation of Israel. Israel was divided into two nations. They wiped out the nation of Judah, conquered the city of Jerusalem, destroyed it, tore down its walls, burned its houses, devastated everything, including their temple, the place where they worshiped. As a result, the people's city was in ruins. 
And they went back to being slaves in exile. But God in his mercy set the people free again and they were allowed to return home to their city. One young man named Nehemiah had a dream and had a passion to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and he got permission by the king of Persia. His name was Artaxerxes, gave Nehemiah permission to go home to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and so he went home and rallied the citizens to rebuild the city because he loved his city. We love our city and our passion, our desire is to rebuild our city. And so they worked tirelessly to rebuild the city. But interestingly, Nehemiah and his fellow citizens realized that you can rebuild the physical city, but you can still act like you did when you were in exile. And so they began to diagnose that there was a deeper crisis. They were free from slavery, but they still still thought and acted like slaves. And our challenge today is that we live in a city where we have national freedom. We have freedom in our own community, but we don't necessarily think free. We don't act free. We become slaves just like the people of Jerusalem who came home. And even though they had the political freedom, they didn't act free. And so this is what Nehemiah, as he's writing about this crisis, he says in the the story, it's written by Nehemiah about his experiencing and helping rebuild the city because of the crisis they were in. Later, his historical writing is included in the Bible, the Bible, a chronicling of how God interacts with man throughout history. And so they're saying, this isn't just history, this is sacred. There's something special about the way God interacts with us. And Nehemiah recorded this moment, but he's looking at the problem and the crisis, and he says this, but see, we're slaves today. They, They were in a free city, They had rebuilt their city, but he goes, we're slaves. Slaves in the land you gave our forefathers so they could eat its fruit and other good things it produces. Because our sins, our sin, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. Nehemiah goes, we have a problem. We are, we're home, we're in Jerusalem, we're rebuilding our city, but we're still being politically controlled. But it's worse than politics. The issue is that we continue to think and act like slaves. And I know this is an uncomfortable metaphor, but we don't need to be politically correct. We have to recognize that every one of us still think and act like slaves, slaves to our own addictive desires, slaves to life-controlling habits. And as a result, when we read this story, we can relate to what Nehemiah is talking about. Fortunately, the story doesn't end here. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to reference the, the, the converse, the, the, what Nehemiah is writing as he leads up to this moment where he's saying, help. We need help to get out of this problem. So let me give you a challenge, a challenge and a principle that applied not only 2,500 years ago through Nehemiah to the nation of Israel and in the city of Jerusalem, but it applies in our city, right here in Hagerstown or in your community. Maybe you live in one of the surrounding areas. It applies not just in our city, but in our community, our neighborhoods, and our homes. It applies in our lives. What's the principle that jumps off the pages of the story of Nehemiah? It's this. We are set free to live free. Here's here's the real crisis. 
When you think about the issues in our community, maybe even the heroin issue, and then you make it more personal and you go, well, it's people who want to kill the pain. How do I try to kill the pain? What am I using as my drug of choice? What what am I doing to self-medicate? And then we take it really personal. I say, man, I would love to not use anger to make myself feel better. I would love to not have to lash out in order to make myself feel good. I would love to not mistreat the people I care about. I would love to not be caught in this chronic crisis in my own life. Forget everyone else's problem. I want to get it right in my life. And we would love the idea of being free from these controlling issues, right? Here is a challenge. You can go to rehab. You can get a Narcon treatment. You can go to one of the clinics. You can get into counseling. You can get marriage therapy. You can go all that treatment. And at the end of the day, you will still not be free. Here is why. Because there's a deeper crisis. It's impossible for you and I to break the chains that bind us. And the reason is there's a deeper problem than addictions. It's deeper than self-medication. There's this deeper internal issue called sin. Sin is the driving force inside of every one of us. We are enslaved to sin. This part that lives inside of every one of us, but it's, it's, it's otherworldly. It's something separate from us. This is creepy, right? Like, this sounds like a weird sci-fi movie. All right, there is this part inside of you. It feels like it belongs there because it creates your internal drives. It creates your desires. The problem is sin is a corrupting force inside of you. So as a result, sin makes you believe that your desires are good and good for you. The problem is sin, what biblical authors call sin, is a sabotaging force that desires to enslave you so that what you believe is good for you is actually out to destroy you. Sin is the force inside of us that causes us to want to do the wrong thing. Even though we don't want to go back and act out that addiction, even though we don't want to go back and mistreat someone, we don't want to be selfish, we go and do it. Because sin sabotages us. Sin treats us as a slave. In essence, sin owns us and controls us. It has us chained inwardly, and you cannot break your own inner chains. Now, please hear me. I am not trying to reduce the issue of addictions to just a sin issue. I'm not trying to minimize the crisis in our community. However, I do want to recognize that these addiction problems and the life-controlling behaviors that manipulate and guide our lives are part of a much deeper crisis. So I want to deal with the root problem first before I deal with the symptoms of addiction and life-controlling behaviors. What do I mean by this? Here it is. It's not only a spiritual issue, but it is first a spiritual issue. What happens is sin corrupts us, creating addictions and life-controlling behaviors that then have a ripple effect of impact. They create chemical dependency. They create other issues. So it's true. Science can research and demonstrate chemical dependencies. Can, we can prove and work through how people are predisposed to addictions. Here's what science can't figure out. Why? 
Why would someone go down that road? Why would they give in to their predisposition? And that's where the spiritual problem comes in. Because there's pain inwardly that we try to overcome by giving into the sin desires in our life. Now, this is a real crisis. Nehemiah writes about it, and he goes like this. So Nehemiah is looking at the real slavery, and he goes back and he says, you want to know what the problem is? Not slavery, but you and I. Here's how he writes it. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 26. He goes, because our ancestors, our whole community, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They put your law behind their backs. Nehemiah goes like this. You know what the problem was? We ignored you, God. We tried to do life on our own. In essence, we sinned and we disregarded God. And as a result, sin ruins our lives. It causes us to be enslaved to the very desires and forces that would destroy us. And worse, sin cuts us off from relationship with God. So now we're disconnected from God, a God who loves us. And far worse, the the end result of that is not only we cut off from God, but now the consequence of this sin enslavement is that we're being controlled and dragged to our own death. Not physical death, a spiritual death where we will spend eternity far away from God in forever suffering, in forever judgment. That's the bad news. Here is the good news. Let me just keep reading as we go through Nehemiah. Nehemiah is reading, he says, So you handed them over to their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. Maybe you're in that spot right now where you're feeling oppressed. Maybe you're being manipulated and controlled, used by the desires that drive your life. Maybe you look at your own life and go, man, there are issues inside of me that have destroyed me or are destroying me. Or I could see how they would destroy me. And so Nehemiah says, so we cried out to you. So let's keep reading. From heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven. And in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. Now, therefore, O our God, the great and mighty and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, Do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come upon us. Here is Nehemiah's prayer. All of this is a prayer. Nehemiah goes like this. God, I know we've messed this thing up. God, I know that the reason why our city is in trouble is because each one of us are part of the problem. God, I know that I've caused problems in my own life. And and some of the issues that I'm dealing with personally are the result of my own mistakes, failures, shortcomings. I know that I've messed things up in my marriage or I've messed things up at work. And so Nehemiah is taking personal responsibility. But he he goes like this. He goes, God, you... You heard from heaven time after time when people were in trouble, when people were in slavery, whether they were slaves politically or they were slaves to their addictions, you have answered over and over and over. And he goes, therefore, God, would you hear again? Would you show up? Would you do a miracle? And would you set us free? So I'm taking that same appeal. And that's what I'm sharing with you today is that we cry out to God and we appeal to heaven. 
We say, God, help each one of us who recognizes that we are slaves to sin and we are driven by our desires that destroy each one of us. God, help. And so the challenge I want to give you is that you can be set free. I encourage you, take notes. Take notes, even if you're saying, this doesn't feel like part of my life. Maybe you're a young person and you're, you're not quickly connecting the dots of how you're being controlled by maybe your emotions or by your anger or by your attitude. Maybe you're, you, as you've gotten older, you've, you thought you worked through all of this. Take notes, whether it's in your program or your study guide or on your smartphone or tablet. Maybe you're even doing this right on Facebook Live and you can just type it right in there. Here it is. We can be set free. You, don't, you and I don't have to live the rest of our life controlled and manipulated, dragged by the enslavement to addictions and life-controlling behaviors. How are we set free? Here it is. I want to make sure I explain this. We often think freedom is the ability to make my own choices. And that sounds good, doesn't it? A young person growing up, maybe you have parents that are very conservative and very controlling. You're like, man, my parents, I can't wait till I move out of the house and I'm going to make my own decisions, right? And then you move out of the house and you're trying to make your own decision about what you're going to eat for dinner. The problem is you only can afford ramen noodle soup. <laughs> I know this personally. I spent many, a year, many years just eating ramen noodle soup. What, what does freedom mean for you? Sure, you have the freedom to eat whatever you want, but because of your crisis, you only get to eat ramen noodle soup. Do you have freedom? Here's what happens, right? We, we have the freedom to choose, but because we're slaves to sin, we always choose the wrong thing. But if we're set free, everything changes. How? Because just like Nehemiah cried out to God, help, set us free from our slavery. God responded to that prayer and many prayers like it. God became one of us. Jesus Christ entered into our world. For what purpose? Because he saw that the people he loved, every person he created and made in his image that he loved was living a life on a crash course trajectory with eternal suffering. And God did not want to spend eternity without you and I. So he intervened in our story, in our slavery, by becoming one of us, to take the eternal death sentence that was on each one of us and place it on himself. So that when he died, he died and paid the debt that would pay off the ransom for our slavery. His death breaking the chains of sin that control our lives, that control our decisions, that manipulate our desires. So that when he died, he defeated the power of sin in your life, in my life. He absorbed the eternal consequence of that sin. But Jesus didn't just die. He rose again supernaturally, miraculously, and physically triumphant over death. So that when Jesus died, death died with him. And when he rose from the dead, he conquered the power of death so that all consequence of sin spiritually is removed from our life. How? Because when you believe in Jesus Christ by faith, you are forgiven of the debt of sin. You are ransomed from sin's enslavement. And you are set free from the controlling force of sin. And you are given new life. How? Because when you believe in Jesus, something spiritual actually happens. 
God's spirit enters into your spirit. And when God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, enters into your spirit, you become spiritually alive. But something also happens when God's spirit is in your spirit, he begins to affect your emotions, your thinking, your desires, so that you shift from being manipulated by the power of sin to allowing God's spirit to transform you. Now you can actually be set free. When you believe in Jesus by faith, it's as though God spiritually draws a line in the sand of your life and invites you to step over that line, separating your past from your future. You can truly be changed. And I know some of you, you've been in life debilitating uh, crisis. These addictions have destroyed your life. I said this isn't only a spiritual problem, but it is first a spiritual problem. So let's not go dealing with symptoms until we deal with the root problem. The root problem is that you and I, we need to be set free from the power of sin controlling us. Then and only then can we move on to the symptoms. Yes, we need to move on to symptoms. If you are right now in a chronic lifestyle where you have life-controlling behaviors that are destroying everything about your life, you do need additional help. If you are addicted to pain medication or you're addicted to drugs or you're addicted to sex or you're addicted to eating or you're addicted to entertainment, you do need help beyond the spiritual. But let's begin with the spiritual that you and I need to be set free through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I want to charge you and challenge you that you can be free. In fact, this is the beauty uh, in uh, a letter that the apostle Paul wrote. So this guy, Paul, who... Uh, his name was formerly Saul, who hated Christians, went around murdering Christians on his way to another slaughter, has a vision where he meets God. And in that vision, he encounters Jesus. And he, he's changed from murdering Christians to becoming a Christian. And then he tells people about becoming Christians. As he uses his business to help fund all these, starting all these different churches, as he moves on, he would write letters to those churches. One of those churches he started was in Galatia, and so he wrote a letter to that church. And in it, he writes this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be a burden again, burden again by the yoke of slavery. He said, you can be free. You can be set free. You don't have to live the life you've been living. You can be free from whatever the consequence, meaning whatever the chains are of sin that are manipulating every one of us. Every one of us are slaves. But we are set free through faith in Jesus. It is for freedom that Jesus has set you free. Now you begin to live different. Now you can be changed in your lifestyle. So that leads to the next point. Let me challenge you with this. So you get to be set free. And then what happens next? Uh, start living free. Right? It's possible to be set free but not live free. Right? I told you about this nation of Israel coming out of slavery politically, out of slavery physically, but yet they didn't live as slaves. They still abused and misused. They still mistreated and, and, and saw each other as slaves. And so there's a challenge. We have to not only be set free, but we have to begin to live free. You and I can begin to live in that freedom. So how do we do this? First, we have to look at the fact that our freedom was worth Jesus giving his life. Your value is based on what God was willing to pay in order to purchase you. 
You are precious in the eyes of God. And because you're loved by God and you're valued by God, God wants you to begin to live a new and different kind of life, not a life where you go back to doing the very things that destroyed you. So how do you begin to live free? What kind of a lifestyle can you begin to take on? Well, let, let's, let me challenge you with this. You can live free from the controlling force of sin. I get it. You've been taught, you've thought, man, yeah, at some point I'm gonna sin. Maybe some of you think, well, every day I'm gonna sin. Paul writes that you and I can be free from living in chronic, chronic life-controlling sin. That doesn't mean we're not gonna mess up, say the wrong thing, but we don't have to have these sin forces that manipulate and can control us. You can repent of the sin in your life, you can receive spiritual freedom, so that then you can begin to be broken free from the life-controlling sins. Therefore, you don't need to return to what once destroyed you. The next thing that begins to happen is that we seek God until his desires become our desires. A lot of this has to do with you falling in love with Jesus so that you love God more than you love the things that you've used to numb the pain. We have to pursue God until his desires become our desires. And then another step we take is that we become spirit-controlled rather than trying to be self-controlled. This isn't about you and I working really hard to get it right. This isn't about just going to rehab and getting therapy and getting more treatment. This is about allowing God's spirit to take control of our lives. So it's, if you drive a little bit aggressive like I do, you have a tendency when you're merging onto the highway, you don't really care who's coming. I'm just going to speed up and I'm going to get by the, the semi-truck, right? right? That's, that's not really yielding. Right? Yielding means I give the right of way to someone else. And so in your life, in order to become God-controlled, spirit-controlled, it means that you have to yield the right of way to God. Allowing God to have the right in your life. Is he taking control of your emotions, of your desires, of your thinking, of your attitudes? So it's becoming spirit-controlled, not self-restrained. And then I want to challenge you, when you begin to live like this, you are then free, free to forgive others. And sometimes that bitterness and that hurt and that hate we're holding on to us is actually what we're, the reason we're self-medicating. But when you're free, then you're free to forgive others. And you're free to love. And you're free to choose the right actions. And then you're free to have a future and a life of purpose and significance and meaning. Therefore, whatever mess you came into this moment with can become a message. Your tragedy can turn into a triumph. We've seen this. You might not realize it, but there are people you sit next to and cross, pass in the lobby of our church you interact with on a, on a regular basis who were heroin addicts. But because they came to faith in Jesus Christ, their lives were radically changed. It wasn't the only thing they needed, but it was the first thing they needed. Then, then you get accountability. Then you seek additional help. Then you get involved in a group. Then you get group support. Then you start to share your story because as you let it out, your heart begins to heal. As you have to help others, it helps you heal. So let me bring you all the way back. Sergeant Kevin Simmers, who 
worked on drug task force, who ends up losing his own daughter to the very problem he was trying to solve in our city. What do you do? How do you pick the pieces up? Let me share with you a little bit of that. Check this out. It was Brooke's dream to build a house and to have a house that was gonna help other women recover from substance abuse or alcoholism. And I made a deal with her that if she lived one year clean and sober, I would get her that house and we would help her dream become a reality. Brooke never saw that dream become a reality. She didn't live long enough. After she passed, my wife and I have decided that we're gonna fulfill Brooke's dream for her. We're gonna build a house that's gonna be for women to recover off of alcohol or drugs. The house is gonna be built here in Washington County. It's gonna be eight bedrooms and sleep 16 girls. I pray that none of you ever need this house. And I'm asking you to give to something that I hope you never need. The truth of the matter is, if you're not infected with this terrible disease, you're affected in some way. We gotta do something. And I'm asking you to help us, help Brooks' dream become a reality and donate to Brooks' house. Thank you. Here's the thing. Uh, this For Our City campaign, we want to address real issues in a real way. And so we, we met with uh, you know, Sergeant Kevin Simmers. We said, how can 24 churches come together? And so one of the things we're doing, the first thing we're doing is we're going to invite you to respond and give. You can go directly to Brooks House. You can also give to the church. Just put in your note to Lifehouse Church, you know, in the memo, or when you give online, you give through PushPay. Just make a note that this is for Brooks House, and we will make sure that money gets there. We're asking these 24 churches all to give toward this need. The second thing we're asking you to do in a very practical way is recognizing that because the issue of heroin addiction begins primarily through prescription drug misuse and abuse, we're asking all of us probably have those little containers sitting on our shelves. Here's the deal. It's a gateway. It's an open door. And so we're asking you, I know it sounds crazy. You're like, it would never happen in my home. Sergeant Simmers thought it was never going to happen in his home. So we're asking you to do one of two things, either fully destroy it, and there are specific instructions. You can go online, how do you properly destroy drugs? And we want you to totally destroy them and eliminate them yourself. Get, I don't care if you have it in your house, destroy it. Don't say, I'll save it for the next time when I'm you know, in pain. No, totally destroy it, get rid of it in your house. You can either do it yourself or just bring it to any of our police stations. Trust me, they have like a uh, you know, no questions policy. You can just turn it in and they'll take it and they'll destroy it for you. Look, let's get it out of our houses. Let's get it off the street. That's the easiest way it gets on the street if it's in your house. So let's get rid of it. Um, now, now let's make this personal and practical in this way. Maybe, maybe right now as I was speaking, this struck a chord with you and you go, man, my real issue is that I am a slave to these things. Not that maybe your issue isn't heroin. It's something else. And you need to find freedom through faith in Jesus Christ. Can I challenge and encourage you to begin right now? Would you make a commitment right now to believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You make that your prayer to say, Jesus, I want to find freedom in you. If you know that sin is controlling your life and you want to find freedom through faith in Jesus, you believe in him, repent of sin and allow God's spirit to enter you. If that's where you're at, you make that your prayer right at this moment. Maybe you believe in Jesus, but you have found yourself still chronically going back into sinful behavior. Maybe it's time for you to start living free allowing God's desires to become your desires and by allowing your life, letting God's spirit take control rather than trying to be self-controlled. So would you take a moment right now, would you pray? 
and just allow God's spirit to speak to you right now. Would you do that? Just take a moment and let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.